0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. This episode is interview of John Keating. I guess he probably was interviewing me. We had questions for each other, but he had uh, lined up some things. And uh, thanks sponsors as well. Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huckton Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Again, always a pleasure. John has his That 70s Card show where he talks about all things 70s, but we expanded our conversation to cover many more things. So thanks, John. And here's our discussion.
1: I've always been curious about distribution, something that gets talked about a lot, but not on a micro level. I don't know whether there's anything uh, you can expand on there. The distributors always seem a mysterious entity. I don't
0: think there's any association. You just call yourself a distributor and find access to product in quantity So there's
1: no exclusivity there?
0: It's not territory. In the early days, there were a couple of West Coast ones, a couple of East Coast ones. So they divvied it up a little bit and had a little bit of a route. But then increasingly over time, everybody went anywhere because if you're a local card shop, you're going to try to get product anywhere you can. So you would have several distributors. You're going to be calling them all and see what you can get. It's not that they're in cahoots, but they're totally aware of each other, the Dave and Adams and the blowout. You go to their different websites and they must each one have a dedicated employee or it's scraped to where they're in lockstep almost for some of these uh, product uh, pricing.
1: So essentially, Tops or Panini or whomever is, they're having the distributors do the, the heavy lifting of taking the product to the stores, whether it's Target well, Distribution it's the Center. Lifting,
0: yeah. There's yeah. the two parts of it that I got into with the Ted Barker, the retail distribution Yeah. I think those guys are pretty secure because you've got to speak that language. You're filling the shelves kind of thing. Whereas the hobby shop, a lot of that's through the mail. I don't think that much of that is a wrap. Whereas retail, you're driving around all the Walmarts and checking the shelves. I don't think anybody's checking the shelves of the hobby shops because some of the hobby shops are not even putting it on the shelf or they're putting it back and deciding when they'd like to sell it or break it or whatever. That's the part that'll be disrupted is the hobby shop part because i think the whole fanatics business model is about disintermediating uh, if you're not adding value the the distributors if all they're doing is providing a warehouse and some shipping capability fanatics has that already your question was do they have long-term agreements i don't think they do
1: Do you think we see a a seismic shift in that prior to uh, a design thing? Because obviously 2023 is already in the the works of being designed. Do you think we see movement, Fanatics, Tops, that's the first place we see the movement or the Fanatics footprint is in the distribution side? Well, I don't
0: know how fast it's going to happen because I think this next year or two are going to be hybrid with Fanatics getting involved, but Panini still being there, Leaf, Upper Deck, each one doing their own thing. But I, I think if I'm a hobby distributor, then... Already, there's going to be a squeeze on wholesale, period. In a hot market like this, you don't want to give quantity pricing. <laughs> right. You want a case, that's that's $1,000. You want two cases, that's $2,100. they are going to charge more for quantity. So you don't need a distributor to do that if the quantities are like that. So that means the distributors could actually adapt and become more an internet card shop.
1: Okay, but they have to get the product. I mean, Fanatics has to be able to do that, they, right? They,
0: the, the distributors still have the ability to stroke a bigger check than the LCS. Some of these, the David Adams and the blowouts, they're more substantial businesses. So okay. they have credit, they have warehousing, they have secure systems and all that. So they're more sophisticated businesses in most cases. And so, would they still want to get product from Panini or Fanatics or Upper Deck? Yes, they're going to want to get all the product they can. Uh, I just think their terms are not going to be as good, John. I right. think that's the problem. They're not needed as much. And so if you're going to take a whole bunch of cases, unless they're the cases nobody wants, there's still going to be room for that if, if there's stuff at the end of the year. And that's how David Adams got really cooking with some of the remainder stuff 20 and 30 years ago. And then they got so big that they could, they could say, hey, we want the good stuff, too.
1: I see Walmart and Target as essentially not caring. This isn't how they make their money. I don't want to call them victims, but I'm, I'm sure that they'll be two of the first victims because it's probably not worth their time. What we went through last summer, an effort to sell a minimal amount of cards.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very possible. Again, fanatics, what benefit does fanatics get if they put a blaster box in Walmart and somebody buys it and walks away and says, oh, and whether they sell it or consume it or trade it, whatever. I think Fanatics wants to disintermediate the whole thing. Right. If they're sending it to a card shop, That I think the LCS is a necessary evil. And it's not even evil. It's providing a service. It's warming it up. But other than that, like I was saying with the redemption cards, anytime Fanatics can get an address of somebody and get some purchasing history, they're masters at marketing. They're, they're going to know what's your favorite team, your favorite brands. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, there's going to be no reason uh, to go to the Walmart and it'll be accessible. Amazon, Walmart, and uh, Target, they have an incre- incredible reach, but I don't think their reach is any greater than what fanatics can do through their various uh, sources.
1: And their margins aren't as high on baseball cards as they are on a pair of pants or a shirt or whatever. A shirt that costs a dollar to make that they can sell for $8. Yeah. A
0: card manufacturing capacity. Let, let me give you my latest thinking on that cuz this could affect the way Fanatics goes about it as well. By accounts that I hear there's one or two printers in the country or in the world that can do cards. Right. You know, that actually is true and not true at the same time. It is true that there is a very short list of one or two that can do cards with all these tricked up kinds of things, but If you go to just putting ink on cardstock and chopping them up in 132 card sheets, there are tons of printers. Again, there's a paper shortage now, but the manufacturing capacity, because that's just like marketing placards or something, there's huge capacity for two and a half by three and a half pieces of cardboard that don't have embedded uh, swatches or serial numbers or autographs or sticker autographs. Where you just—I was thinking your podcast in in the seventies. There were all kinds of crazy printers that were printing those cars. You did an episode about Mike Schechter, and I knew Mike Schechter, and he was an amazing, resourceful guy. As long as he stayed under the radar, everything was great. He just was a victim of his own success, sure, uh, which I think you pointed out. But he could get that stuff printed. I think almost any, and even the Pepsi discs. Who thought of something like that? Uh, (laughs) Glove discs, right? Unwieldy, and a lot of those things were. Doing round cards is the least efficient way to print. to print and, right. and uh, die cut it or all yep. that. So yeah, uh,
1: wiffle ball, so, but, wiffle ball but, sleeve or wiffle ball bat sleeves, the whole but thing.
0: But tons of printers can do that. I'm wondering if there's not going to be an opportunity for fanatics to re envision the printing aspect. That if you have a simpler product, it could go to a different printer.
1: Food issues. I know they disappeared. For the most part but it seems like such an easy advertising platform for the sport and baseball i think is living off their past
0: and baseball is the one that had all the food issues yep exactly
1: most They're, of the food issues but yeah yeah but I, know,
0: I think that was uh, driven a lot by mike Schechter, who had a, a vested interest in doing that and uh, somehow he had a way after listening to your episode i'm realizing a very pragmatic guy he wasn't interested in the quality that mm-hmm. much he just was going to crank it out and i think most of the issues that he dealt with i don't know that he was that concerned about the distribution i'm wondering if he just got paid in some way that was not dependent on the success of the promotion because there's so many remainders in of some of his products they become so common even in complete set form right that it makes you wonder that he somehow was getting a royalty but somehow some guarantee that when he did this set and there was no desire in almost every case, there was no thought that we're going to make this tough. No, they printed a lot of them. Yep, That's what kind of killed it. So what it became not very special anymore. And then you were competing with the tops and Fleer and Donruss and all the others that they were mass producing too. So cards were everywhere. And so, yeah, but
1: he, uh, part of the charm of that was the regionality of it, right? Uh, you didn't originally, know, Originally, you know, but then the Pepsi were, was regional.
0: It was regional, but then they'd find their way around. On the secondary and, market, and it, everything does. And it just clouds, not your judgment, but it, you you cannot unsee when you go to a card show back in the 70s and the <laughs> 80s, and you see a big stack of MSA stuff that whoever has them has some source. that They obviously didn't go around and pull them off the, the, the Pepsi products. They right. were somehow getting it from the printer or from some other source. Yeah, and they were that, warehoused. For sure. And, and that, that made people lose confidence, I think, John, in that category, in that genre. To run like post-serial cards, those were not scarce at all. But for the most part, you had to buy a box of cereal back in the day.
1: Like I said, the regionality is fun. There's no disguising what they were doing. But I think probably as cards got better, not that the 81 Fleer and Donruss were anything to write home about, but as cards got better, you got further and further away from those pastel black and white photo player pictures there wasn't a lot to them. So that probably had something to do with it because they got to the mid eighties with the Jiffy pop and the Jiffy pop was completely different than the the discs from the seventies. If you
0: go back to the fifties, the golden age of regionals, those were regionals to a much uh, narrower degree. There was less travel in America in those days, but you had dandy potato chips and Glendale meats and all these different uh, hot dog companies, Wilson Wieners. Stahlmeier. So all the hot dog cons wieners, those were very regional with respect to the franchises for the most part. And those are highly sought after, but they were inserted with product in most of those cases. Most of the MSA stuff, in fact, like I said, when you find them, you find a bunch of them. Either there was a complete set offer, which there may have been. um, But those are charming things. Uh, They just weren't printed on expensive card stock so they didn't have an air of permanence to them mm-hmm. and
1: so why not now when baseball has everything to gain baseball in particular why aren't they sandwiched between a uh, six-pack of juice boxes
0: or i think Oreos cookies? what's happened the other thing is the consolidation of uh, licensing it's not just the baseball card license that they're trying to funnel into one single source baseball's moved more and more to seven eight-figure sponsors they are paying $10 million a year to say we're an official sponsor. That knocks out all these smaller regional kinds of things. In MSA's case, Mike Schechter Associates, it was mainly driven by the players. Just get a group of players and do that. And you didn't have the the full artistic appeal of the team logos and all that, but you had some good players, but you almost never had rookies because you had to be a, a players association person. So, well, looking back, you can see how maybe that's how that came and went.
1: Yeah, I feel like you know, they have a, an image problem, baseball, regardless of the lockout. You know, they're not the king of the hill anymore. They're not even probably number two in the hearts and minds of American sports fans. You have to get people in the seat. You have to get new fans. And I know it worked for a lot of us when we were kids. You know, not the collectability part of it, but it's the advertisement part of it. And these guys spend millions of dollars in advertising a year, these, these leagues. And it seems like if you can get somebody to pay for distribution, pay for the, the, the making of the, the product, then it's a no-brainer to have your stuff out there
0: to some extent. It's not grassroots anymore. It's it's, institutionalized, and that's the problem. And part of the fun comes from the music world. You can have these huge stadium concerts, but on the other hand, some of the smaller concert venues are really pretty cool. And it just seems like baseball has moved upmarket, just like the hobby has moved upmarket. And so now if somebody came with an interesting promotion for hot dogs or ice cream, I think baseball has been too exclusive about who they want to work with. And they keep whittling it down. And I think all the sports probably have. Right, You just can't be a mom and pop. You, you have right. to buy your way in. Even Upper Deck, when they came in, they had to stroke a big check just to get the attention of a Major League Baseball to say, hey, if, if we fold, at least here's some millions of dollars that say you got our money. The man in the-